Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, uh, my name is Mark Jennings. Um, I have the honor of serving as an elder in the church. And I also have the honor of being a new father for the third time. Kim, uh, Kim finally had her baby. Uh, um, so Harrison Finn Jennings was born on uh, September 1st. Uh, if you're visiting uh, or haven't been here for a long time, you, you've been told you know, that we need to sort of respect uh, the occupancy permit. So I thought I might tell you a little bit about what you can expect to see uh, next Sunday, because things will be a little different. There'll be pews, right, instead of chairs. Um, you know, there'll be, um, the, the lighting is, is, is just incredible, the natural windows, the, the sound system is, is fantastic. Um, for those of you in the back, don't worry, there, um, there will be a, a, a stage, a platform, so you can see the guy who's speaking, um, although I'll tell you, he's not as good looking as what you're seeing today, <laughs> but our pastor Jeremy will be back. Uh, Jeremy is currently... Um, with his wife, Jennifer, today, they're on a small trip celebrating Jennifer's birthday. I won't say which one out of, out of, out of respect, but I do hope in a couple of years when I turn 40 that I might be able to also have a, uh, a nice little trip. But I, I get the gift of, of looking at the Word of God uh, with you today, uh, which is a, an incredible gift. So turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy chapter 26. You'll find that on page 195 of your pew Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6, chapter 26, excuse me, um, page 195. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15 of chapter 26. Follow along as I read. When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. When you have finished 
setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe. You shall give it to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Then say to the Lord your God, I have removed from my house the sacred portion and have given it to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all, your, all you commanded. I have not turned aside from your commands, nor have I forgotten any of them. I have not eaten of the sacred portion while I was in mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor have I offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the Lord my God. I have done everything you commanded me. Look down from heaven, your holy dwelling place, and bless your people Israel and the land you have given us as you promised on oath to our forefathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. The word of the Lord. So over the past few months, we've been tracking with Pastor Jeremy as he's been teaching us through Deuteronomy. And we've been looking at the different messages and themes that, that Moses gave in this sermon, right? Because this sermon is, is given to the Israelites on the eve as they stand upon the threshold of finally entering into the promised land. And we've been, we've been looking at these, um, these different movements of the sermon. And, and we get here in chapter 26. We've come to the end of a section that began in chapter 12. The section where Moses specifically orients his sermon towards talking about the rules and the regulations and the instructions that will govern the life of the Israelites. And, and sort of with all of that in mind, and as we were going through this and reading it, you might have had the same thought that I had. Haven't we heard this before? Haven't we heard something like this before already in Deuteronomy? Because indeed we have. In chapter 18, Moses talks about first fruit giving. In chapter 14, he talks about the tithe that goes for the disenfranchised, for the poor. In fact, this whole section began in chapter 12 with Moses talking about giving. And he returns to it here in 26 as he closes. So I wonder... As he's going through this, haven't we heard this all before? The Israelites might have been thinking the same thing. I don't know which is worse, to come to a sermon where you look and you see that the topic is the exact same topic that you heard three or four weeks or six weeks ago, or, or to be assigned to preach a sermon on a topic that was been preached upon three or four weeks or six weeks before. But Moses, inspired by God felt it important to talk once again about giving. About the nature and the principles of giving. So we would do well to, to hear this message. Now what's fascinating about what Moses does here is he really takes two separately distinct givings and puts them together. He takes two different time different moments, different motives, different givings, and puts them together. The first giving, the one he addresses in verses 1 through 11, is a first fruit giving, a giving of a portion of your first fruit from the harvest. The second giving that he talks about in the final four verses 
is a giving for the disenfranchised, a, a, the tithe that was taken every three years for the poor. And he takes these two separate givings and he brings them together into final comment. He brings them into conversation with each other. And he does so by emphasizing the confessional statements that the Israelite was to give. Do you notice the almost creedal formulations that happened when the Israelite would set forth the offering? They would proclaim something about God or something about the gift. So what I was like to do as we go through these, different, these two different givings, I want us to keep in mind how they are being presented in concert with each other. I want us to be aware of the, the creedal, the confessional proclamations that are being made. And then after we do that, I want us to look at what Jesus himself says about the law as he interprets the law. So let's look at this portion of the first fruit this portion of first fruit giving begins in verse 1. When you have entered the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God has given you and put them in a basket. When you have entered the land, you know, I don't know if I can really fully appreciate the, the depth of significance those words had to have for the Israelites. I mean, keep in mind, this, this land was one of the promises of Abraham, right? God gave Abraham promises, and one of them was that his descendants would have a very specific piece of land. That would be theirs. And of all the promises, this one seemed least likely to be fulfilled. I mean, Abraham certainly didn't see it fulfilled in his lifetime. He pretty much had nothing. His son Isaac had a little bit of land. His son Jacob had a little bit more, but then he abandons it all, right? And, and leaves and, and goes to Egypt to get out of famine and to seek the protection of his son that was there. And then, of course, while he's in Egypt, they become slaves. They become, come under the most dominant power in the region. And even when they get rescued out of slavery, they're not taken immediately to their land. There's these wanderings you know, that occurred in the wilderness. So the fact that as they're standing upon the, the eve of actually entering the land, these words, when you have entered the land have just had a resonance with them that is just hard for me to even get my mind around. And this is the occasion for the, the setting, up, setting up of the first fruits giving. Moses anticipating the bounty that the Lord is going to give the Israelites as they come into the land. Anticipating this bounty sets forth a system a system of giving that will serve to continually um, remind the Israelites why they are in the land to begin with. And it will also be an occasion for celebration of why they are in this land. And as I was looking at the principles of this giving a portion from the first fruit, one of the things that seemed to just jump off the page was that this type of giving, the giving of a first fruit, is a responsive giving. It's a responsive giving. It's given in response 
to what God has already done. What God has already given. This is very different than the offerings that are given to the, the various pagan gods of an ancient Near Eastern culture. In the various pagan religions, the Canaanite and then on through into the Persian, the Babylonian, and eventually even the Greco-Roman, all of the givings that were done to some deity were not responsive givings. They were appeasement givings, you know, trying to appease a god, or, or, or they were briberies of sorts, trying to win favor from some deity. But here, Moses has set forth very clearly that the portion of the first fruits is a responsive giving. Look at the language that he uses in verse 2. Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land. The Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Or, or then down in, in verse 10. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. This, this responsive giving has an understanding, has a posture, has a, a proper perspective that sees that God is the God of the harvest. That God is the reason that giving is even possible. Giving a portion of the first fruits is an acknowledgement that the land itself is the gift from God. Yes, we work it with the sweat of our brow and the strength of our backs. But the strength of our backs and the sweat of our brow is a gift from God. It is all God's doing. That God is, is over absolutely everything with the harvest. That it's, it's His harvest. And this is giving in response and giving in thanksgiving and giving in recognition that my ability to give is only because God has given already. So this giving of a portion of the first fruit from a harvest is a responsive giving that remembers and recognizes what God has done. It's also a trusting giving. The giving of a portion of your first fruit is a very bold declaration that the one who was the God of the harvest will continue to be the God of the harvest. It's easy to give third and fourth fruits, right? It's easy to offer a gift that comes from the third or the fourth or the fifth fruit. That's remainder giving, right? That's the type of giving you do at PetSmart. You know, when you're buying something and then the cashier says, would you like to give a dollar to homeless pets? Sure, you know, just to kind of not make myself look like a real jerk, you know, in front of them I'll give a dollar for homeless pets, right? That's remainder giving. That's what you have in your pocket giving. First fruit giving is different. When you are giving a portion from the first fruit, you don't know. You don't see second, third, and fourth fruit down the line. When you give a portion from the first fruit, you are making a very bold declaration that I trust God. I trust God that He will provide second and third and fourth fruit. It is, it is a type of giving that makes a, a very 
striking statement of who you really see as God of the harvest? Do you see God as the bringer of the harvest, or do you see the sweat of your back as the, the sweat of your brow and as the bringer of the harvest? So, first fruit giving is responsive in recognition of, of what God has done. It is trusting in what God has do, is going to do. But one of the other principles you see here that Moses talks about when you give a portion of your first fruit is that it is testimonial. It makes a statement that God is not only the God of the harvest, but that God is specifically the God who saves That the one you are giving to is not only the God who brings rain and fertile soil, but is the God who is the great emancipator, is the one who breaks free the chains. Look here, look look at what the, the, the testimony, the bold proclamation that the Israelite is to make, is to make when he gives gives this offering. Let's pick it up in verse five. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, referring to Jacob. And he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. That was the moment of salvation for Israel. Yes, the plagues would come. Yes, Pharaoh would waffle and change his mind. Yes, the armies of the Egyptians would be drowned in the sea. Yes, there would come a pillar of fire. Yes, there would be a great parting of the waters. But the moment of salvation were none of those. Those were the result of the moment of salvation. The moment of salvation for the Israelites was when they cried out to God and He heard them. And Moses has set forth there, as they're getting ready to enter into the bounty of this promised land, he is calling them, remember, you are to give a portion of your first fruit to the great emancipator, to the one who brought you out of slavery, who heard your cry. When we give a portion of the first fruits, we are making a worship statement. Which is why... They do it, they did it, and we do it corporately and and publicly. Do you notice the public nature of this giving? It was done in front of the whole assembly. When when we gather here and and pass the offering plate, it's not because it's an expedient way just to gather funds. It's an act of corporate worship. Public corporate worship. I hate writing checks. I absolutely hate writing checks. And I don't mean because money actually comes out of my checking account when I do that, although that does bother me. I actually hate the physical writing of checks. Drives me crazy. I hate the fact that I actually have to write the word dollars. It seems like I shouldn't have to do that. I hate that I have to draw a line 
all the way, as if somebody's going to come behind me and write, and a million bucks. Like, you know, like right after what I just wrote, you know. I, I don't know why I have to draw that line. I hate writing checks. I'm that guy. I, I'd want to do everything, check card and online banking. I'm trying to figure out a way to use online banking to pay my kids allowance. It would just be incredibly easier. You know the type of guy, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're writing a check at the grocery store and someone behind you <sighs> sighs a little loudly, fidgets, is clearly disgruntled. That's me, all right? I'm that guy. But when it comes to giving, I don't want to do it through online banking. I don't want to do it through something I can do in the privacy of my own home. I want to write that check. Kim and I write that check and we bring it here to participate alongside you with an act of worship, of public corporate worship. I like to even give the envelope to one of my sons to actually put in the plate. Not because it's the cool, fun thing they get to do something, but so that they have a tactile experience of participating with the family in this worship. And so as, as Moses was talking about this first fruit giving, he's very much presenting it that you are giving in response to God and you are giving to God. That's very important to get our head around. When we give, we give to God. We're not giving to the church. We're giving to God. No strings attached. No presumption of influence. We don't give so that we may influence. If we're giving to God and you have somehow have in your mind, if I give a little bit more, I might influence God with my money. We're in a world of hurt before we even get started. Right? We're also not giving as a vote. We're not voting on whether we approve of what the pastor or the elders or the church is doing because we're not giving to them. We're giving to God as a beautiful, bold statement that I know you are the God of the harvest, that I know I can trust you with my coming days, and that I know you have saved and brought me out of slavery. That's why it's worship. That's why even here at the end of this discussion of the first fruit, when we get to looking at verse 11, it reads, And you... And the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you in your household. Now the Levites and the aliens, the foreigners, they had no harvest. These are people who had no land. They had no fruit to grow, to put in a basket and set before but yet, they're not to see these baskets of fruit that come forward. They're not to see that in jealousy or in envy. They're to look at it for what it is. A bold statement of worshiping God. And to be thankful of what God is doing in the households that are bringing the baskets and laying them before. So we see Moses setting forth this first fruit, this portion of first fruit giving as a responsive giving. And then, if we are responding to God, and we're giving to God, it's not surprising that we are also giving to others. 
This is where he moves into discussing the tithe for the poor in verse 12. When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. What strikes me on this giving, this giving that is done for the disenfranchised, this giving is done for the vulnerable, this giving that is done for the powerless, is it's not emotional giving. It's not manipulated giving. It's not the giving that occurs, you know, when you see someone, you know, begging on the street and, and you, you give them a dollar. This is purposeful, intentional, disciplined giving of compassion. It is a planned out, protected giving of compassion. Look at the language Moses uses. Look at how many times the the Israelite talks about how he intentionally set apart and preserved it. Then say to the Lord your God, I have removed from my house the sacred portion and have given it to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow according to all you commanded. I have not turned aside from your commands, nor have I forgotten any of them. I have not eaten any of the sacred portion while I was in mourning or a period where I wasn't earning, right? When they're in mourning, they're not working the fields. I have not eaten of the sacred portion while I was in mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor have I offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the Lord my God. I have done everything you commanded me. This setting aside of a portion for the oppressed, for the vulnerable, for for those who the wheel of time has rolled over them and crushed them. This is intentional, disciplined giving. I mean, this is protected giving. We've seen this throughout Deuteronomy, how God is on the side of the vulnerable and the exposed, of the outcast. And, and, and my friends, brothers and sisters, if, if God declares throughout his scripture that he is on the side of those who are without the stability of a harvest, if he has declared that he is on their side, we, his people, should do likewise. He set in place a system in ancient Israel to make sure to make sure that his compassion would flow to them. When we face budget decisions as families, as individuals, as a church, let us not start trimming the funds off those that go to the powerless. Because God is quite clear He intends for His people to be purposeful and intentional and disciplined in their protection of this portion. So I was looking at what Moses does here. How he takes these two givings, these two offerings. One has a a vertical aspect to it. It's a giving from me 
to God. One has a a horizontal aspect, a relationship between me and others. And as I was considering how Moses is, is, is working these two together in conversation, it hit me. Jesus is so right. Jesus was so right when he interpreted the law. Do you, do you remember what he's asked in Matthew, what the greatest commandment is? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is exactly what Moses is doing here. Jesus is right. Moses is looking at the vertical and the horizontal through the lens of giving. And Jesus, when he summarizes the law, he's looking at the vertical and the horizontal. I had a pastor in Illinois once say to me, he said, uh, some, uh, someone's not giving. They're either not a Christian or they're disobedient. And I don't want to dampen the truth of what he said, because giving is clearly obedient. But I don't think what he said goes deep enough. I don't think it goes deep enough. Because as, as Moses is bringing together in concert the, the giving to God and the giving that goes to others, as he's bringing them in concert, Jesus is telling us that the, the melody that drives this symphony of giving, the melody that just drives it is love. Is love. That when we give, when we give of a first fruit, we are declaring to whom we love. When whoever you give to from your first fruit, that's who you love. And sometimes we give to others as out of love. We, we pay rent, right? We pay a mortgage. We buy groceries. We buy clothing. We pay for medicine because we love our family. Because we love and want to take care of ourselves. If we're not giving a portion of our first fruit to God, we are making a statement of love or lack of. You will love the Lord your God with everything you got. And giving declares, giving from first fruit declares love. God speaks all the time throughout Scripture, about the threat, the draw, the temptation that money has upon our love, upon our faith to Him. The rich man, the rich young man who goes to Jesus, who goes to Jesus, and, he, and, and, and Gospel of Luke tells us, and he goes to Him and says, I want to be a part of your kingdom. And, and Jesus replies that he has to keep the commandments. And he says, I have, you know, I've kept commandments to my parents. I've kept commandments on murder. I've kept commandments on adultery. But then Jesus challenges him on money. And he walks away dejected. 
Because it doesn't matter how righteous you might be in these other things. If you have violated the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The rest are just soiled. When we give of first fruits, we are declaring love. When we give for others intentionally and disciplined, we are declaring love to them. We are declaring His love working through us towards them. Giving is a statement of love. Husbands, I want you to go home today, sometime soon, sit down with your wives. Wives, I want you to go home Today, sometime soon, sit down with your husbands. I want you to have the hard conversation of, is our giving stating our love? Those of you who regularly give, I want you to have the hard look. Am I giving out of simple obligation? Am I giving out of cultural pressure? Or am I giving because I love God with everything I got? And if you're not, if I'm not, I need to fall upon my knees and I need to repent for withholding my I love you. And then I need to get up and give and celebrate what God has done. Fathers, when your children ask you why you give, Do what the Israelites did. Tell them your testimony. You don't give because it's simply the right thing to do. You don't give because you want to support the church. You give because you were locked in slavery to sin and death. And the great emancipator heard your cry, came down and rescued you. See, what you give, I'm not talking amount. I'm talking mindset and and, and, and posture. The quality of what you give is directly related to your love. You know how I know this? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That's how I know this. Because God showed His love by giving everything He had. And all that He had. When we give... We proclaim our love. Now I know, I know for some, this is hard. I know what it's like to feel you have one foot on the ledge and the other on the ravine. I know what it's like to hear this talk about giving of a portion of your first fruit and you don't even know if you have a portion. I know what that's like. I know how hard it is to take a first fruit gift. But I also know this, and take courage and comfort in this. I know that our God is the great promise keeper. I know He has said to you and to me, He'll never let go. No matter how high the waters rise, He'll never let go. 
No matter how the foundations crumble, he'll never let go. No matter how many of the stars fall, he'll never let go. No matter how much hope disappears, he'll never let go. For you, you give to him a portion. But the psalmist tells us that he is our portion. That we are his prize. He'll never let go. A few weeks ago, and I'll, I'll end with this. I was having a conversation with a woman at my um, boy's soccer camp. She asked me what I do. You know, and I explained to her, you know, I teach biblical studies, theology. And she kind of looked at me, and she kind of looked at my boys, and she said, are you a priest? And I said, no, I'm not a priest. And then she said, oh, so you're a minister. I said, no, I'm not a minister. She goes, oh, you don't preach on Sunday. Well, I do preach on Sunday. It usually takes about six minutes for, to get me into a category that people can kind of get. Um, and a lot of times, once they find out what I do, it's sort of, oh, ooh, look at the time, you know, I uh, got to, you know, uh, I don't want to say anything bad around you, you know, kind of thing. But this didn't happen, right? She sort of pressed the conversation. And you know what that's like when all of a sudden you know, okay, there's, there's a Holy Spirit moment that's happening right now, right? And so she, she asked the question, are you religious? And I said, yes, not probably in the way that you're thinking about it. And I proceeded to share the gospel with her. And I, and I started talking about how, you know, when you're, you know, when you're in Jesus, how it changes everything. And I mentioned how it changes how I look at my finances. And she grabbed a hold of that, like that, that hit her, you know, like a, like, a, like a lead balloon. Because typically, like when we think about our finances, right, it's a, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then put the oxygen mask on others. So he says, what do you mean that you've changed how you see your finances? She's like, are you more charitable? Do you just give to charities? And I said, yes, but... Probably not in the way you're thinking about it. And we proceeded to talk. I wish I had that conversation to do over again. Having studied what Moses is teaching, I wish I had that conversation to do over again. So when she asked me why it's changed my finances, how my giving is different, when she asked me that question, I wish I would have said, because I love God with everything I got. Because he loved me with everything he had. I wish I would have said to her, because I love you. And I love all those here with me with everything I got. That giving is my love note. I wish I would have said that. My brothers, my sisters. Love God. Everything you got. And love each other with everything you got.